Welcome everyone to today's class. Are there any questions from previous class or previous classes? We can pick them up. Thank you for D who put up the post for the family tree. That was very useful for everybody. So they get a better understanding of um, the uh, names and the characters and how they fit in. I'm sure it's helped quite a few people. So last week's class, the points we learned was sin. What is sin? Is not in the action, but in the reaction. When you perform an action, does it cause mental agitations? You can't say an action is good or bad. You can't label it good or bad. It's bad if it causes agitations, otherwise it's fine. As you said, to be cruel, to be kind. It's the intention that matters, not the action. So you may be thinking negative, but doing a positive thing. You hate somebody, but they want you to do something. You do it for them. But internally, you're thinking, oh, I hate this person. Why am I doing it for him? So the intention is the intention that matters. You're creating sin. No, it's not the action itself. A person eats a nice, lovely, meaty rabbit. He enjoys it. What a lovely piece of meat. He does not sin. No agitations. But a person understands that it's wrong to kill an animal. They're all God's creatures. It's wrong to kill and eat it. He commits sin. Action is... The person who kills and eats it doesn't commit sin. Yeah, so... Loudly. Look this way. Where does cause and effect come into uh, sin? Because mm. you might think it's all right to yeah. kill someone, but it is still a wrong act. Absolutely. And you have to pay a price for that. Absolutely. You might not be agitated. Very good question. It's one that I was expecting someone to ask. Did everyone get the question? Did everyone hear? So what if someone kills someone? Where does cause and effect play? That's the extreme. But... Yeah, you kill somebody, you eat this lovely rabbit. What about cause and effect, she's asking. Surely that has to play a part, and it does. Karma plays its part, regardless. Cause and effect, you kill some, someone. It may be the correct thing to do, but karma will play its part. Cause and effect will play its part. That no one can change. Does everyone understand? Errol, does that make sense? Yeah. You may not sin, but you're still causing, you're still causing harm and doing a negative action. Yeah, Kevin. So what we're saying is, if you are in the army, for example, mm -hmm. and you kill someone, it's your mm -hmm. duty to kill someone, that will still cause a negative action. So it will cause a negative action. You know, people, soldiers come back and they have, is, what's that uh, symptom? Post-traumatic stress order, agitations of the mind. That is because they have committed those atrocious killing people. I'm not, we're not labeling it as right or wrong, good or bad, yeah? But the effects of that killing creates the mental agitations. That's why they go through these post-traumatic disorders. There's nothing you can do about it. But surely if 
if that's your duty and that's your obligation, surely uh, you shouldn't be developing Gardner Void, right? Yeah, but based on whose whose perspective are we looking at? You see, you know, army wants um, army's told to kill, but the general may have other ulterior motives. The leader. You're on mute. You're still on mute, Anikidara. I haven't done anything. It happened automatically. Ravi, you've been pressing some buttons. Okay. Sorry. Um, okay, well. See, what we're saying here, this is exactly what we're coming to today's class, Arjuna's understanding of sin. I yeah. think what Kevin is asking, mm -hmm. if we're thinking about the Vietnam War, for example, yeah. okay, so a soldier might have the duty to kill, but actually, how does he perform his action? Mm. Does he do it in a wrong way and make that individual that he is supposed to kill suffer, mm -hmm. for example? Mm. Don't know. Well, killing is killing at the end of the day, and there will be consequences, regardless of why or how you do it. Oh. You see? It's a fact. But surely, like, um, like if you're defending yourself, for example, right? I don't know, like at home, someone breaks into the house and defending yourself and you accidentally kill the guy. Surely in that instance, you should not be developing, let's say negative karma, because you are protecting yourself, right? You, otherwise we, we should all just be lying down and just letting people do what they want, right? That's, that's also not right. So what we're saying here, first of all, let's separate sin and karma. Yes, sin is the result of a negative action. And that result manifests as agitations, mental agitations. If you, if you perform an action, it creates mental agitations, you've done a negative action for you. Now that may be small, maybe big. We're not going into that. Why did I say those words to my wife? I was angry. It has caused you mental, mental agitations and suffering. Yeah, so that was a negative action, or vice versa, Vigil. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a negative action for you. Now, as far as killing is concerned, a terrorist, someone stops, someone, a terrorist is going to blow up, blow up London Bridge. Somebody finds out and kills the terrorist. Is that a negative action? He gets an award for it. Yeah. Now, we can say that is a positive action because he has saved so many people's lives. Will he get mental agitations? He may do. He may do. But in the law, eyes of the law, he's done a positive action. So as far as karma is concerned, it's difficult for us to say how it will affect him because it depends on all his past actions as well. It's not that easy to understand. In, um, in a few minutes. Yeah. So he's doing something for the greater good. So I, so I understand what you're saying. You're saying the sin is separate, which makes sense, right? Like um, whether you're killing someone for the right or the wrong reason, you might still have mental agitation, right? So that's the sin part. Yeah. The part is still sort of a bit shaky for me because surely, like, I feel like if, I, I mean, it feels that the person who is killing someone that's about to bomb London Bridge is doing the right action and the right Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. And, and you should not have karma for that. Otherwise, we just have weak people all over the We're not saying it's a negative karma. It's a, we're saying it will affect his karma in the future. If it will affect it positive or negative, we can't say. That's the point I'm making. Because it's based on his all his past actions. So we don't know what other past actions he's done, negative or positive. So karma is the result of your action in the future. So we're not here to say what will happen. But let's leave it at this because as we get into the Gita, we will be talking about karma. Krishna will be talking about karma. So let's listen to him.
talk about Karma and what he says. Is that okay? Because this is a whole class and we may not uh, get to a conclusion, but let's wait till Krishna what he says. Is that fair enough? Okay. Good. Any other questions? So, sin. Arjuna believes destruction, killing is sinful. So that's why he says, I won't commit this terrible action. It's sinful. But he needs to see the bigger picture. As we said, if you kill a terrorist, you're doing service to your country. Arjuna doesn't understand. He has to perform this service for his country. So Arjuna continues to put his argument to Krishna of all the reasons why he should not fight. And he's hoping Krishna will agree with him. He's hoping that he will advise him that he's right. But Krishna doesn't say a word. He just listens. In the last topic of this chapter, which is what we're covering now, Arjuna is completely dejected and he collapses on the battlefield. See, Arjuna's case, his whole argument is based on ignorance, meaning lack of knowledge. When we use the term ignorance in these classes, it means lack of knowledge. Yeah, that's all it means. In Arjuna's case, his whole argument is based on ignorance, meaning lack of knowledge. So what he is saying has no value. In fact, the only way to bring righteousness back to the kingdom is to kill the source of unrighteousness, which is to kill the Kauravas. And from chapter two, Krishna gives him the knowledge to remove his ignorance. And from that, we also benefit since everything we do in life is also from the base of ignorance. Everything we do in life is from the base of ignorance. Some of you may say, well, what do you mean by that? Any idea what is meant by the fact that we are all acting from the base of ignorance throughout our life? What does that mean? We're all acting from the base of ignorance. All of us. What does that mean? Any ideas? Think about it. We say Arjuna is acting from the base of ignorance. And I say that we are all acting from the base of ignorance. What does that mean? Uh, Meghna? Is it that we don't, from the beginning, we don't know anything until we know it or until we learn it? Yes, we can say that. Uh, knowledge removes ignorance. Absolutely. But the fact is, we haven't received the knowledge yet. So we're all still acting from the base of ignorance. Correct, Meghna? Okay. So what is this ignorance? What is it that we need to know? Uh, Kevil? I was going to say, I think we're ignorant until we become self-realized, right? Absolutely. So we're, we're all in that state of not being self-realized, which is why... We from ignorance. So the so the ignorance is what? Our desires. Our desires. Vanita? Not knowing the self, isn't it? Not knowing the self. Ultimately, yes. But if you think about the basics, yeah. We don't know where we come from. We don't know why we're here. How long we're here for. We don't know when and where we're going from here. And what do we say? Yes, I know. What do we know? So everything we're acting is based on ignorance because we don't know the fundamental answers to these questions. So what are we doing here? <laughs> I don't need an answer for that, but... So anything we do in life is from the base of ignorance this is what Krishna is, understands. You have no clarity, no understanding about life. 
The value you put is your own value or what society puts. Does that make sense to anyone? Any questions there? This is the ignorance we're talking about. We don't know anything about life. We come here, we follow society, make some money, enjoy ourselves, do what everything, everybody, what society says we should do, conform to that. In the end, we're six foot under. That's it. This is how everybody's life is. But you're all very fortunate because when we start getting to the core of this message of the Gita, all these questions will be answered. The questions we've just posed, they'll all be answered. Your ignorance will be replaced with knowledge. Then you will no longer be acting from the base of ignorance. This is what the Gita is. And when you gain this knowledge, that the, when you gain that knowledge, wisdom, your whole attitude to life changes because now you know what life is about, what your purpose is. And that results in more confidence in life. Your life becomes more enriched and results in more happiness, which is what everyone's looking for. Everyone's looking for happiness. Anyone not looking for happiness here? You're in the wrong class. Everyone's looking for happiness. And this is what you will gain from it. Answers to those questions. Yeah, everyone happy with that? So this is the ignorance we're trying to replace with knowledge. So we'll start with 40. Now, I have to tell you now, Today's topic is just Arjuna babbling on, yes? And we have, to do, we have to endure it because now he's in complete confusion. So, uh, verse 40. Kulakshaye pranashyanti kuladharma sanatanaha dharme naste kulam krishna Madarmo bibavatyataha Kulakshaye pranashyanti Kulakdarma sanatanaha Dharme naste kulam krishna Madarmo bibavatyuta In the destruction of a family the immemorial religious rites of the family perish, having lost spirituality, impiety indeed overcomes the entire family. So Arjuna's continues to make his argument, his excuses not to fight. He doesn't want to fight, but instead of saying, I don't want to fight, he's making up excuses, reasons. So in this verse, he's saying that if I kill these people, then ultimately their families will be destroyed. And if the families are destroyed, then unrighteousness will take over. Unrighteousness will take over anyway. So what's the difference? What's the point of killing them? There's unrighteousness in the society now. If I kill them, it's not going to change. What he means is that all families and communities are based on a foundation of higher spiritual values. Based on certain traditions. And what he's saying is that these will be lost if these people are killed. Who's fighting in the war in the Quran? It's all men. Men were the head of the families in those days. Now we're going to see his argument progress. And he's saying, if these are lost, then the communities will fall apart anyway. Values will be lost. What's the point? See, in our own community, I'll give you an idea. We all stick together because of certain values our communities has. 
We all came here from a certain region of India. Some of it's based on our religious beliefs, our temple, etc. Correct? Now, the new generation, they're not following that tradition and values. What is happening to our community is drifting apart, isn't it? It isn't the same as what it used to be. We're not saying it is right or wrong, better or worse, but it's a fact. These are the values we're talking about. As the elders pass away, the values get reduced. Those higher values are no longer followed. This is what Arjuna means. He's talking rubbish, but that's what he means. Yeah, any questions? Okay. Arunabin? The last topic covering verses 40 to 47 describes the confused and confounded state of Arjuna, how totally depressed he casts away his bow and arrow and collapses on the battlefield. The survival or destruction of a community depends upon the values and traditions that it cherishes and lives by. Families which follow noble values handed down through generations from time immemorial maintain the high traditions vital to the community. Families grow from the roots of their values and traditions. A community then rises up and blossoms out of these family roots. When values and traditions decline families, families will be destroyed. Anarchy will reign in that community. Arjuna argues that a dharma, impiety, will prevail in a community when the families are destroyed. His fallacy lies in his tracing the source of anarchy to the destruction of families, meaning their physical deaths rather than to the loss of their ethical and religious values. At the time of the Mahabharata war, the community had already plunged to the lowest value, lowest level of morality. The noble and virtuous values had been lost. The Kauravas and their allies had brought on this downfall of the community. The Pandavas tried to resurrect the community from the deplorable state with the help of Krishna. They tried all amicable means to do so. Their efforts failed. Now their only recourse lay in completely destroying the evil forces that brought on the downfall of the community. The war was inevitable. <clears throat> Hence, Arjuna's fallacy in maintaining that the destruction of families will bring about impiety. On the contrary, only through the destruction of these unrighteous families could righteousness be restored. Thank you. So Arjuna's got it wrong, basically. His thinking is wrong. 41. Adharma bibhavat Krishna Pradushyanti kulastriya strishudusta suvashneya jayate varna sankara adharma bibhavat krishna pradushyanti kulastriya strishudusta suvashneya Jayate Varna Sankaraha. By the prevalence of impiety, O Krishna, the women of the family become corrupt. Women being corrupted, O Vaishnaya, there arises intermixture of castes. He's jumping to conclusions again. Building on this wrong argument, Arjuna states, that as a result of this sin of killing these people, women, women will become corrupted. There'll be intermixture of castes. When ignorance is at the base of an argument, an argument built upon it will be faulty. So Arjuna's argument is faulty. The consequences that Arjuna is saying will happen cannot be the result of a war based on righteousness. It's already plunged. Society is already plunged to the death. And in the last minute, Arjuna is stating that the war will produce, the war will 
not eliminate unrighteousness. It's not going to make a difference, he says. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He refers to the caste system. There'll be intermarriage in castes. So caste system, we covered rough, uh, basically. So every human being is made of three temperaments, all of us. Sattva, Rajas, Tamas. I'm going to explain how the caste system was created. Sattva, Rajas, Tamas. Sattva is the highest quality of a human being. And if anybody has an ounce of sattva, it manifests between 4 and 6 a.m. That's the highest quality that you have. That's why we say study this subject between 4 and 6, because you need to have that state of mind to understand this subject. Rajas, frenzied activity. Running around, I need to do this, I need to do that. I've got to go to work. Frenzied activity manifests between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. And then the third is tamas, laziness. 6 p.m. to 4 a.m. All your sinful activities, all your desires, they all manifest at that time. That's why Vegas is so busy at the, in the night. Everyone's got that tamas in them, laziness. So these are the three inherent internal temperaments of human being. Sattva, Rajas, Tamas. Every human being is made up of these three qualities in different proportions. So based on this system, there were four castes. Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, and Sudra. Brahmana is the priests, predominantly sattvic. A person who is sattvic, they made him a priest. Highest quality. Second one is kshatriya, warrior. Predominantly rajasic, full of action. Little sattvic and little tamas. But mainly, main quality is rajasic. Third is the vaisya, trader. Little sattva, rajas, and more tamas. And the fourth is laborer, mainly tamas, little rajas, and trace of sattva. So these divisions were created to allocate work based on one's nature in the past. The system was created. Okay, you, strong, fit, full of action, you're a warrior, kshatriya. You're highly intellectual, you, you pray, you read all the scriptures, you're priest. You have those qualities. This is how it was created. To allocate work based on one's nature and not to the family one is born in. Just because you're born in a Brahmin family doesn't make you a Brahmin. The qualities may be of tamas, labor. Maybe have qualities of a warrior. Just because you're born doesn't mean that you have those qualities. And this was designed for the progress of society and the individual. So, but now the caste system does not work. That's why it doesn't work. It's created for a particular time, for a particular reason. So Arjuna's argument that the war will cause a mixture of caste is baseless. The war will actually help bring society back together, bring harmony back in the land. So that's the caste system. It's, it's important to understand because these terms will come up later on. Any questions? Everyone understand the caste system? Great. With the ignorance as the base, all arguments built upon that base will, will be faulty. Arjuna starts his arguments with the consequences of destroying the family. With the loss of the family, he says, the immemorial religious rites will perish. From that, spirituality will be lost with, and impiety will overcome the entire family. In this verse, he says, impiety will bring, upon, bring about corruption among women and lead to intermixture of castes. 
Arjuna's entire argument traces back to his objection to fighting and destroying his kinsmen in the war. Can all these consequences stem from waging a righteous war? At the time of the war, the community had fallen deep into impiety. Immorality and corruption were the order of the day. The Pandavas conceived and prepared for the Mahabharata war solely to combat and conquer unrighteousness. The very theme of the conflict was to resurrect righteousness in the country. For virtue to prevail over vice, to achieve this end, Arjuna had solemnly pledged to fight and destroy the vicious Kauravas and their accomplices. After thorough consideration, he was determined to plunge into the inevitable fratricidal war. Now, at the very outset of the war, he seems to completely reverse his former pledge. He tries to convince Krishna that waging the war will produce rather than eliminate unrighteousness. Arjuna speaks of the intermixture of caste. The caste system of the Hindus is based on the three temperaments called tamas, rajas, and sattva. Tamas arises out of a pattern of thought steeped in ignorance and inertia. A person in the tamasika state is indolent, indifferent, and indisposed to activity. Rajas is born out of a passionate, desirous, agitated thought pattern. A Rajasika person has a restless mind and vacillating emotions. Ever bristling with desire-prompted activities, he involves himself completely in the affairs of the world. The state of sattva comes from a pattern of thought that is equanimous, serene, and poised. A sattvika person is contemplative. With a mind rooted in the supreme truth, he remains detached from the worldly transactions and excitements. Uh, I don't know if I missed the next top, uh, paragraph, please. I've already covered that. Yeah. Arjuna fears that the war will cause intermingling of caste and disruption of society. His arguments which point to such a conclusion appear baseless. In fact, the war aimed to reconstruct a disrupted society and bring about harmony in the country. Thank you. So, our goal is to become sattvic in life, reduce the tamas, reduce the rajasic, the laziness, and the desire in activities, and become sattvic. That is our goal. 42. Sankaro narakayeva kulagnanam kulashyacha Patanti Pitaro Vesham Lukta Pindo Dakatriaha Sankaro Narakayeva Kulagnanam Kulashyacha Patanti Pitaro Yesham Lukta Pindo Dakatriaha Confusion of castes indeed leads to destroys a family and the family to hell. Verily, the ancestors fall, deprived of the offerings of rice ball and water. Not really important to understand this verse. Arjuna continues his emotional blabbering. And when someone is in this state, not everything they say makes sense. And this is exactly what this verse is. In class, Swamiji doesn't even cover this verse. Doesn't even bother explaining the verse. How can you explain someone who's talking nonsense if there's no message? But Arjuna is saying that the intermixture of caste will then lead those who destroyed the family and that destroy itself to hell, himself. So I'm going to go to hell if I do this. He's thinking so far ahead. But kill these people. Their families will have no values. They will marry different castes. Society will fall and I will go to hell. That's what he's saying. What is heaven and what is hell? Anyone? What is heaven? What is hell? And Benita. 
it's a, not a place it's your state of mind state of mind they are not geographical places heaven up god is in heaven and the devil is in hell at the bottom it's not that these are all it's a mental state when the mind is peaceful you're in heaven when the mind is agitated you're in hell that's what it means Arjuna says who will do the religious rituals for the ancestors they have died superstitious beliefs of the time and he talks about rice bowl offerings this is a ritual a ceremony which carries significant significance for the performer of the ritual the ritual serves as a reminder of the value and virtues that the deceased father of a family lived by and guided others by as well as a mark of respect for the deceased so when someone passes away yeah your father mother the values they had you do a yearly ritual to remember those values who's going to do that he said non performance of these ceremonies is taken as a disregard of these qualities once again as we said arjuna is just talking from an emotional perspective it doesn't make a lot of sense hema Arjuna continues his line of thought to establish his belief in the evil of waging the war. Krishna remains significantly silent. In the previous verse, he traced his arguments to the intermixture of castes. Here, he states that the confusion of castes will lead both the destroyers of the family and the family to hell. Arjuna's shattered mind and incoherent statements exposed some of his superstitious beliefs. These beliefs were obviously prevalent in the society at the time. Even today, ignorant people believe that hell is a realm and of punishment where evildoers go after death. In fact, hell and heaven are not geographical places. They merely indicate the states of the human mind. When the mind is tortured by agitation, suffering and sorrow it is said to be in hell when in a state of equanimity enjoying peace and happiness it is said to be in heaven the offerings of rice and water known as shraddha and darbana are also based on a superstitious belief orthodox families conduct these ceremonies with due reverence the direct descendants of the departed souls perform these rituals annually they believe that the spirits of these ancestors will suffer a fall in their wells if denied the offerings of food and water arjuna fears that these rituals will be lost if the descendants are killed in the war the shraddha and darpana ceremonies are no, no doubt sacred but they have virtually lost their significance people have been conducting these rituals mechanically without understanding them much less following the principles for which they stand in the joint family system in india the pat patriarch is revered and respected for the high principles by which he lives and guides the family when he dies his descendants try to emulate him by adhering to his great virtues the annual ceremony is a mark to, of respect to the ancestor and to the virtues which he hands down to succeeding generations it also serves as a reminder to the new generation to continue on the path of virtue paved by the elders non non performance of the ceremony is taken as a disregard for these virtues and symbolically referred to as a fall or failure of the mains thank you hema a lot of rituals that we conduct they're merely mechanically done these days we don't actually know why we're doing it we don't understand why we're doing it rituals are created because people lost this knowledge so one day when you're doing a ritual you might say well why am i doing this what's the meaning of this and when you question it then you get to this knowledge 
but most people just do it mechanically, passed down. So it doesn't really have any value. If you don't know what you're, you're just doing something for the sake of it, with no understanding of why you're doing it, what are you going to gain from it? Any questions? Okay, 43. Dose te kulagananam varnasankara karakahai utsad yante jatid dharmaha kulatharmascha sasvataha dose re te kulagananam varnasankara karakahai Utsad yante jatid dharmaha kuladharmascha By these misdeeds of the destroyers of family that cause intermixture of castes, the eternal religious rights of caste and families are destroyed. Once again, this is Arjuna talking nonsense about what may happen if he kills them. Having given such arguments, Arjuna sums up. He says, the wrongs by those who destroyed the family will annihilate religious rights of caste and families. We've already covered this. It's caught up in confusion. His fault flow means he's saying that the intermixture of castes, people get married, could be caused by loss of family, will destroy the already destroyed family's religious rights. Once again, as I said, no need to explain. It's just talking nonsense. See, actually, in the whole of chapter one, there is no message to explain. We have to bear with the ramblings of Arjuna. The deepest message of chapter one is, anybody? Krishna remains silent and unmoved. Sorry, Shashi, I didn't see your hand. Krishna remains silent. Throughout the whole of chapter one, Krishna doesn't say a word. That's the deepest message from chapter one. Someone is rambling on, you stay silent. Let them ramble on, let them say whatever they want to say. When they've finished everything, you ask them, is there anything else? Nikisha, that's the message from chapter one. Yes, remember that. Let them carry on. You listen. That's it. Be a Krishna. Take that first value of Krishna. Just listen. Shilabin? Just listen. Don't say a word. Emma? It is interesting to examine Arjuna's line of thinking following are his statements from verse 40. Verse 40. Destruction of family will lead to annihilation of family religious rights, which will result in impiety in the family. Verse 41. Impiety will make women corrupt, which will cause intermixture of castes. Verse 42. Intermixture of castes leads, leads the destroyers of family and family to hell. Ancestors fall deprived of offerings of rice ball and water. Verse 43, these misdeeds of destroyers of family, which cause intermixture of caste, will annihilate the religious rights of castes and families. Arjuna starts his arguments by stating that the annihilation of family, religious rights will cause intermixture of caste. Here in this verse, he sums up with the statement that intermixture of castes will result in the annihilation of family, religious rights. He appears to be caught in a quagmire of thoughts. The confusion and disarray of thoughts is the result of extreme mental stress. Krishna understands Arjuna's psychological condition and remains unmoved by his battery of arguments. Just waiting, Krishna's just waiting. Arjuna to finish. 44. Utsana kula dharmanam manushyanam janadana 
नरके नियतम वासो भवतीुश्रुमा उत्सनाकुलधर्मा मनुष्यानम जनादना नरके नियतम वासो we have heard o janadana that men who have lost their family religious rights dwell in hell for an indefinite period something he's heard arjuna something he heard he says men who lose religious rights dwell in hell i hear and it's for indefinite period he's telling krishna like i said he doesn't know what he's talking about his emotions arjuna's emotions have overwhelmed his intellect it made him confused whatever he's saying is illogical see main thing in life what we have to do and he's lost this thought we ought to do we only what we have to do is what we ought to do what is it that we ought to do whatever your job is whatever your role in life is just do that your warrior you fight your teacher you teach engineer you do engineering your mother be a mother that is your role in life do what you ought to do any idea why Sushi. That's your duty. Your duty, yes, and your obligation. Yeah. Anybody know the deeper reason? Vanita? Is it based on your vastness that you you chose to be as the role yes. in that life? So that's you have to fulfill that to fulfill your vastness. Absolutely correct, Vanita. Well done. You're born with certain vastness. your goal is to exhaust those vasanas so you can reach moksha self realization just follow those vasanas and exhaust them by doing what you ought to do whatever your vasanas are do that don't create new vasanas just follow whatever your vasanas are that's the most spiritual best thing you can do in life Vasna for dentistry, Meghna. Fulfill that Vasna. Be a dentist. Be the best dentist you can. Just fulfill those Vasnas. That's it. You're being spiritual just by fulfilling your own Vasnas. So Arjuna is a warrior. Instead of talking nonsense, he should just be fulfilling his duty and fight. that's what we can learn from that any questions yeah good 45 oh sorry uh 44 benita continuing to present present his arguments to krishna janardana arjun states that loss of family religious rights Will lead people to hell indefinitely he reiterates his statement from verse 42 only adding that the duration of stay in hell would be indefinite here again arjun manifests further emotions his belief in indefinite suffering in hell indicates the fear of punishment thus multifold emotions attachment desire anger revenge fear have overwhelmed his intellect leaving him in utter confusion as a result his statements lack all reason or logic arjun has arjuna has been harping on on the world of kula dharma kula dharma which means family family religious rites he fears that the religious ceremonies and observances will all be lost with destruction of families in the war and with the loss of religious rights people will be doomed to the worst disaster arjuna does not seem to realize that religious ceremonies and rituals only signify true religion the society actually 
maintains religion by entertaining and instilling spiritual values in their lives. Rituals are only symbolic reminders to apply these values in the practical life. In the era of the Mahabharata war, society lost the high spiritual values which, which it had maintained from time immoral. The Golvas directly caused the decadence. The Pandavas conceived the war only to elim eliminate the evil elements of society and revive the spiritual values. Ironically, Arjun uses the same religious terms to conclude that the war should be avoided. This concept of dharma, righteousness, lacks a deeper insight. So Arjuna's basically got it wrong. He has to do his duty and fight. That's it. 45. Aho bata mahat papam kartum vyavasita vayam Yadrajya sukhalo bena antum swajana mudyataha aho bata mahat papam kartum vyavasita vayam yadrajya sukhalo bena antum swajana mudyataha alas we are involved indeed to commit a great sin by preparing to slay our own kinsmen for the greed of pleasure of kingdom. So where is he getting this from now? He's saying we're fighting for pleasure of kingdom. He said that last, but how many verses ago? Arjuna knew full well the honorable and virtuous intentions of the Pandavas, his, his brothers. Yet he declares that it would be a great sin to fight and slay his own kinsmen for the greed of enjoying a kingdom. He thinks he's doing it to enjoy the kingdom. We've already covered this. It's not for the enjoyment of the kingdom, but to bring back goodness, to raise society from corruption to higher values. You see what we're saying? He doesn't, he's confused. He's saying the same thing all over again, which he said half an hour ago with his conversation with Krishna. His reasoning is all wrong and reaches a wrong conclusion. This unprovoked sudden change in Arjuna's thoughts further demonstrates his emotional state. Vanita. Arjuna feels it is a great sin to fight and slay his own kinsmen from the greed of enjoying a kingdom. Strangely enough, Arjuna has early consoled his depressed brother Yudhisthira by cons convincing him that the war aims the war aims of the Pandavas were fair and noble. He argued then that the victory was commanded by truth and virtue rather than might and power prowess. He firmly established the benevolent and honorable intention of the Pandavas in deciding to fight. Now, without any external prompting, he impulsively voices the idea of greed for sovereignty. He deplores the state of greed for personal pleasures as being highly sinful. This sudden change in Arjuna's thinking once again clearly indicates his emotional upheaval. Okay. 46. Yadi mama pratikaram Asastram sastram pranayaha Dattarastra ranehanyu Stanmeshe mataram bhave Yadi mama pratikaram Asastram sastram pranayaha Dattarastra ranehanyu if the sons of Dhritishtra, armed with weapons, should slay me unarmed and unresisting in battle, that would be better for me. There you go, he's now finished. He's saying, we'd rather be killed by the Kauravas, unarmed, unresisting, than fight. So he's, reached the, he's reaching the end of his uh, conclusion now. And saying, just kill me, it's all right. He's a warrior, one of the top warriors in the country. How many awards he's had? 
It's like Mike Tyson saying, I'm just going to stand in the ring, punch me until I fall down. <laughs> so this is the state, his mental state. False renunciation and sacrifice. He thinks he's doing it for the greater good. True sacrifice arises from within one's personality, not from outward situations or circumstances. He thinks he's giving up his life for good. He thinks he's reached high spiritual development, but it's not true. It's just a state of his mind, highly emotional. So what we should understand from the state of Arjuna is that such a great warrior, a great person could fall into this mental state. When the mind and its emotions take over and he loses all clarity, this is what we should understand from this. Where you can go from where to where in such a short time. Mental state. You've all experienced it. It can happen to anyone. We're coming to the end of these talks. Ravi. In a desperate bid to justify his emotional involvement in the battlefront, Arjuna claims that it would be better for him to be slain, unarmed and unresisting. Again, the accent seems to be centering around himself. In verses 31 to 34, he views the whole situation from a personal angle. In verse 35, he concludes that he would rather be killed by his kinsmen than, be killed, than he killed them. Here in this verse, he reconfirms his stance of self-sacrifice. True sacrifice arises within one's inner personality, not from the outward situation and circumstances. In Arjuna's case, the pressures of fighting and killing his own kinsmen have forced him into that state. The sense of sacrifice which he claims did not arise until he became overwhelmed by a gust of emotions, a typical example of false, false vairagya, renunciation. Last verse. Sanjaya Uvacha Eva Mukvarjuna Sankhye Ratopashta Upavishat Vishyat Sasaram Chapam. Sorry, I've said that. Vishyasasaram Chapam Sokasam Vignamanasaha Sanjaya Uvacha Eva Mukvarjuna Sankhye Ratopashta Upavishat Vishya Sasram Chapam Soka Samvignam Anasasaha Sanjaya said, Having spoken thus in the battlefield, Arjuna sat down in the seat of the chariot, casting away his bow and arrow, with mind distressed with sorrow. Remember, this Gita is Sanjaya narrating to Didrishtra far away. So this concludes. Sanjaya then narrates Arjuna as sitting down in his chariot, bow cast away, and his mind distressed with sorrow. This is what he's saying. This is what's happened. He's collapsed. Uncontrolled emotions constantly pressurize our personality leading to the experience of stress. What is stress? It's just our emotions, uncontrolled. We all experience it, this state. Stressed, I'm stressed out. Basically, when you say you're stressed out, the intellect which thinks and reasons get overwhelmed by emotions. And when it gets in, uh, overwhelmed by emotions, we're not able to perform our actions effectively because we can't think clearly. You don't know what you need to do. The more affected one is, the less aware one is of his condition. And this is exactly what Arjuna state is. His intellect is not available. His mind is full of emotions. He can't think clearly. He doesn't know what he needs to do. So, 
all of us, no matter how great we are, how powerful, how wealthy, how high in society we are, it doesn't take a lot to fall. This is the thing. One bad thing happens in your life, you're finished. You're in Arjuna state. Doesn't take a lot. We don't realize we're walking on a tightrope every day. Just a matter of time before we fall. So when Krishna gives out the knowledge to Arjuna from chapter 2, some of it in the next class, when Krishna gives out the knowledge to Arjuna, it lifts him to such a state that he overcomes all his emotional issues and he fulfills his obligation, kills the Kauravas and wins the war, bringing righteousness back into the world. So that's why we need this knowledge so that we live life to the fullest. And when something bad happens to us, when we fall, we're able to pick ourselves up quickly from that state. This is how the knowledge helps you. You will fall. But how quickly can you get up? Some people never get up. So this knowledge will help Arjuna. Krishna's, when Krishna wakes Arjuna up and gives him this knowledge, it allows him to function and fulfill his obligation. Similarly, when we fall, this knowledge will help us to recover and fulfill our obligatory duties. Any questions? So when the, when the chapter finishes, we finish with this verse, end of every chapter. Om Tat Saditi Srimad Bhagavad Gita Supani Satsu Brahman Vidyam Yoga Sastre Shri Krishna Juna Samvade Juna Vishado Yoga Nama Pratamo Dhyayaha which means Om that is real. Only thing in, life, in the world that's real is Om, the Self. Thus, in the Upanishads of the glorious Bhagavad Gita, the science of the eternal, the scripture of yoga, the dialogue between Sri Krishna and Arjuna ends the first chapter entitled The Yoga of Arjuna's Despondency. And we normally finish the chapter by reading the first verse again. This is something that is done. To signify that we've got another 17 chapters to go. Tetrastra, sorry, Tetrastra Uvacha Dharma Shetre Kurukshetre Samaveta Yutsavaha Mamaka Pandavascheva Kima Kurvata Sanjaya. So that's the end of the first chapter. So this class we're conducting is for yourselves. If you find that we need to make any changes or you feel that the class can be better in any way, or I'm going too fast, or please let me know because as I said, this is something we're doing for, us, for all of you. And you need to let me know if there's something the way we conduct class, you think can be better. Yeah. Arunabin, Shilabin, all of you. Because if you're not, if you're not receiving this knowledge in a way you understand it, then we need to make changes. Any questions? Arunabin. So I don't have a question, but I feel like I have a kind of observation. I feel very humbled by this chapter because I think any one of us could be in this state and it takes a lot to actually overcome this. So when we say that Arjuna is rambling, actually he's probably voicing our own feelings and emotions at some time or the other in our lives. So it really is a lesson in learning from her. Thank you, Robin. I'm glad you took it that way because that is the way it should be taken but different people take it in a different way. When is his Krishna gonna start giving his sermon? I'm waiting for that. Some people may think in that way, 
but the way you've taken it is in the right way of taking it that we should identify with Arjuna. We're not any different from Arjuna in our lives. Yeah. So when Krishna gives him the knowledge to raise him, he'll be raising all of us as well. Yeah. And it's because of Arjuna, Sittal said, that we can benefit from this knowledge. So any other questions? Great, you made it through chapter one. So I think uh, next class, Krishna questions Arjuna. And then from verse 11, he gives the highest knowledge that will answer one of our questions that we asked in the beginning of this class. And when uh, Krishna starts talking, we will start the Wednesday group discussion class if people want to. If there's a, uh, we only need three or four people uh, to conduct this class. And then we can raise and discuss what Krishna is saying um, in greater depth. Yeah, so that'll be one hour class on Wednesday evening or the day that you all decide. Um, and whoever's interested, we will have a group discussion, a for, uh, informal group discussion. Yeah. Great.